Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Life Enchanted. My name is Nick Carlisle, and I have the pleasure of being your host as we nerd out on all things faith, health, interesting, and optimizing. The goal here is to help you live a better life, my friends. Simple as that. And selfishly, it helps me as well as I am forced to rearticulate things and teach things to you guys and dive deep into content with guests who have valuable wisdom to share with the world. So it is a win-win for both of us. Praise God for the internet. A couple of things before we dive into today's episode. First, hit me up on Instagram, at nick.carlisle, that is. I am very active on there and would love to connect with you guys personally. Also, I encourage you to check out my website. That's www.mylifeenchanted.com. On there, you can inquire about my holistic life coaching services. You can check out the Truth Pack, which is a little something that's been tremendously helpful and valuable for me in my morning routine and in my pursuit to optimize my day. You can also check out some shirts and hoodies I designed. There's a free 25-page eating guide on there, a little PDF I developed. I'll put the link to all of that in the show notes below this episode. Lastly, and most importantly, please leave a rating and possibly write a review of Life Enchanted on whatever podcast platform you're using. I'm trying to grow this thing, and I need you guys to help me do that. You play an integral part there, so sharing any of my content on Instagram or any of these podcast episodes would be so much appreciated, and I will love you forever. But that's enough of the housekeeping items from me. Now let's dive into today's episode. For this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing best-selling author, speaker, career coach, and ex-counterterrorism professional Ashley Stahl. I first came across Ashley on a different podcast I was listening to, and about halfway through her interview there, I had to pause and go buy her book and find her on Instagram and hit her up to see if she would come on this podcast because she was just that awesome, and luckily for us, she obliged. Ashley has a ton of practical and potential life-changing insight to share in regards to identity and career and purpose and everything else in between, so I'm stoked for you guys to hear this. There are a few audio glitches in there, which I apologize for. I also recorded this while in the middle of battling my worst COVID symptoms, which sucked and was not fun, but regardless, it was an awesome conversation, so please enjoy this interview with Ashley Stahl. All right, Ashley, welcome to Life Enchanted. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly my pleasure. So there is a lot that I want to ask you about today, and hopefully we have time for all of it. But before we get into all the nitty gritty, I'd love for you to just share a bit of your story with the listeners. So if you don't mind, give us kind of the Cliff Notes version of how you got here today as a career coach and an author. Yeah, I mean, you mean I didn't come out of the womb just realizing I want to be a career expert? <laughs> well, I, um, 
you know, I grew up in a house where my dad loved politics and I couldn't get away from the news. And now as an adult, I, I like having the news on. I feel like I'm one of few people who likes the sound of the news, <laughs> even if it's got a lot of negativity and, and chaos. I feel like I'm connected to something greater than me, like what's going on in the whole world. And so it was natural for me in college to kind of... Um, lean towards politics and lean towards government. But what I didn't realize at the time was that who I am is a very sensitive person. And that probably wasn't going to be, be a fit, for example, with national security. Hmm. All of that being said, I ended up going to the career services office and, you know, went to the woman and said, I don't know what to major in and I don't know who I am. And she ended up giving me all of those three worded directives that we all kind of heard as kids, which was, you know, follow your passion and do mm -hmm. what you love. And I remember feeling more lost than I ever was just having listened to her and leaving the office feeling really confused. And then I just majored in three different subjects because I felt really overwhelmed and indecisive. And I was buying into the myth that I think a lot of people buy into that you're a degree really ma matters um, for your career. I think it matters to have a degree, mm -hmm. um, as, according to the research, but only 27% of people are working in the field that they majored in. And so, you know, for me, I was really scared that if I picked something, I was marrying it, and I didn't realize this. So I ended up going into government history and French, pouring myself into national security and politics, getting a master's degree and I was really influenced by 9-11, you know, like mm -hmm. my family on the East Coast was, you know, impacted by that. And eventually I learned foreign languages, did all of the things and ended up, uh, you know, landing a job making minimum wage during the recession, sleeping on my parents' couch, feeling like, you know, I got to take something, something's better than nothing during these hard times. And I know Gen Z is really feeling that with the pandemic and the millennial generation, Gen Y, we really felt that during the recession. So these two different life events, the pandemic and the recession, I think influenced these generations in a very unique way, separately. And so, yeah, I ended up at an ad agency. I was in so much pain making minimum wage. And eventually I just said to myself, you know what? I am going to email my university and I'm going to ask them if they have a list of people who have graduated and moved to DC. So I ended up getting a response from them with an, a list and it had 2000 names and emails on it. And it was all people who had moved from my college who graduated and went to Washington, DC. I worked my way through that list of 2000 names and emails. I fell on my face. I learned what to say, definitely learned what not to say. <laughs> And were you just because, reaching out to those people, all 2000 or what yeah, were you doing? With I that was list? an email machine. You know, my <laughs> grandma always told me, and I, I write about this a lot in my book, that life is a numbers game. You know, she always used to say, like, mm. if you haven't gotten the response you want, keep knocking on doors. Like you can't walk, knock on a hundred thousand doors and keep getting a no. Like eventually you get a yes. That's the magic of the world. And so it's really just about persistence. So mm. I emailed all 2000 people. I said the wrong things. I got on the phone with some of them. I called a bunch of them, which you can imagine, you know, people already don't want a cold call, let alone cold calling someone who works in national security. They're extra private. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, hi, I'm Ashley. But eventually people started to help me and I got the confidence to leave my admin assistant job and moved to DC. And within six weeks of that, I got three job offers. I tripled my salary. I was earning nearly six figures in my early 20s. And I was in a management position um, as a defense contractor working for the Pentagon. And my life really changed. And what I learned through that was that when you follow what feels good, even if you don't know whether it's your forever, 
the clarity, the purpose, it, it's right in front of you or it's on the periphery of that. So on my way into national security, which I ended up finding out I was way too sensitive to be in and way too emotional to really be in that that darkness that can come with that niche. Mm-hmm. I learned what a great job seeker I was. And I started helping friends on the weekends with their resume. And that turned into my career coaching business. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been really an amazing amazing journey. Now I have my best-selling book, my podcast, and, you know, my, my practice with clients. And I'm really grateful that I listened to that little nudge. Yeah, no doubt. Talk to us a little bit more about working in the Department of Defense at the Pentagon and your experience there. Um, and why you decided ultimately, you mentioned that that you were too sensitive for it, and that it was just kind of a little bit of a darker world. But w- why did you transition out of it? What What led you to that? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, when I got there, I, I actually learned so much. But I would look at my manager and I would look at other managers in that world. And I realized I don't want to be in their shoes. I'm, you know, when you really want excitement in national security, you become a case officer, which means that you're an intelligence person in the field collecting intelligence or, you know, essentially turning people against their state in different countries and getting information from them. And my I have I grew up with anxiety. So first of all, you know, I have worked so hard in personal development to calm my nervous system down. And my entire podcast and book is in part dedicated to that for anybody who feels kind of revved up in their day, anxious or worried. And so for me to go into a field where you actually are afraid for your life, mm-hmm. where you have to look out for your life, I just remember having these honest moments with myself during different training exercises where I, you know, I was overseeing a bunch of people who are deploying to Afghanistan as civilians who are advising the Afghan government based on some intelligence that we had out in the United States. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, I am way too sensitive to be doing this. Like, I don't want to grow here. And that's a sign that you're in the wrong career if you don't want to go upwards and grow. Because mm-hmm. as humans, we are not designed to stay stagnant. You know, if you've ever seen a pond that's stagnant, there's like weird stuff growing on it and nothing that we want to have growing on us. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so important to feel good about where you're headed in that way. Yeah. I just read a quote while I'm reading an M. Scott Peck book right now. And he just, uh, he had a quote in there that said, when the, when the human soul stops growing, it starts deteriorating. Right. And, And that spoke to me deeply when he said that, because I've experienced that myself when I'm not reading, when I'm not listening to podcasts, when I'm not challenging myself, when I'm not really doing thought life work and mind work with myself and I'm, and I'm stagnant with all of those things. It's, it hurts and it, it, it feels like I'm stuck and that I'm not going anywhere. And it really is damaging to the, the inner part of me. So yeah, being in a career where you don't feel that I, I could see how, how daunting that could be, especially if you're planning on being there, you know, if you think you're going to be there for 30 years, 40 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. I read a quote kind of like that when you were talking about this morning that was talking about if what you're doing isn't feeding you, it's eating you. Mm. And it's true. You know, I don't like to think in extremes because I do think the world is very gray. I went to the art store just the other day to get some chalk for my little cousin to draw on the sidewalk. And I saw a box of black and white chalk and it was like 50 different shades of black and 50 different shades of white. Wow. And I was like, that's the world. That's yeah. what we live in. And and sometimes we see, you know, on the internet, you know, quotes, like if it isn't a full yes, it's a no. And I I do think that sometimes that can be the case, but there's a lot of extreme thinking. And the truth of the matter is we do live in the gray. Mm -hmm. Life is gray and everything is subjective. And so um, 
you know, I think it's really important to look at what you're doing and ask yourself, like, maybe it's feeding you in some areas, but it's not in others. And just to really take a look at who are you and is it feeding you in the right places? Because something feeding you just to pay your bills, I mean, you can get that somewhere else. That's like staying with a partner just because you want to have a partner yeah. versus who they are and what they're really doing for your life. Yeah, no doubt. Before we move forward, you touched on controlling your nervous system. And yeah. I just want to touch on that, dive into that real quick. What have you found to really help you with calming your nervous system? Yeah, you know, whenever my peace is disturbed, I see it as like a little inner alarm that goes off reminding me that I need to get grounded. Mm -hmm. So anytime you're feeling off in your body, you're feeling, um, and that's the thing about our bodies, they're so intelligent, people really have disconnected from that. But you know, I was uh, reading that the reason they're calling our gut our second brain is because it has over 200 million neurons in it, which is bigger than a cat or dog's brain. So there's an intelligence to when you have butterflies in your stomach. There's an intelligence to when your stomach sinks. And it's just so important that we are able to notice our body as a feedback mechanism, especially because a lot of the times our body is responding to what our thoughts are. So whenever we feel a sense of disturbance, I, I see it as an alarm to stop and ask myself, what am I thinking about right now? What am I believing about this moment or about my life right now that is causing my body to do what it's doing? Mm -hmm. And more often than not, I'll look at what I'm thinking and I'll say, oh, well, that's not that doesn't deserve my stress, like moving on and I can release it. And my body just takes this big exhale. Other times there's something really um, worrying for me. And I, I write it down and I say, what, what can I do today to make this less stressful to me? Mm -hmm. What can I do today to better manage this? What can I do today to face this? Um, you know, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that the power of being done with something. A lot of people suffer because when they're done with something, they stay in it anyway, whether it's a relationship or a career or anything of that nature. And um, it can be so damaging to your body when you drag yourself through the mud of something you don't want to be in anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I think that really noticing where are those contractions, where are those expansions, um, and what are you believing about them as a starting point into getting leverage on yourself and your mindset. Because if you don't know what you're thinking about, if you're not tuned into that, it's going to be really tough to recreate your, your your mind and your thoughts. Yeah, no doubt. The first step is awareness, right? You have yeah. to be aware that of what's going on and that thoughts are creating these feelings and that you can observe them and, you know, not control them, but that you have a choice and that, uh, you know, there's always a different thought pattern or perspective you can take to change how you're feeling or, or viewing something. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So let's dive into some of the core ideas of the book, which is phenomenal. By the way, I read it. My Thank wife you so read it. Much. Totally, it's so oh. good, Ashley. For real. And I've I've heard you say that you poured your soul into it, and I could see that it's super good. Mm. Way to go! Thank you so much. That means the world. Yep, no doubt. But in one of the beginning pages, you say, "Quote: I wrote this book to help people sift through the noise of life to see who they really are, not who they want to be." Not who they should be, but who they actually are. And I'd love to dive into that. Um, and one of the first things you talk about is this idea of unearthing one's core nature. So mm -hmm. what is one's core nature and how do we go about finding out what ours is personally? Yeah, I believe that your core nature is the energy that you bring to the room when you walk in. And usually when you're truly being yourself and you ask people to describe it, it comes in different adjectives. So... When I come into the room, um, there's play, like I'm very playful, I'm chatty. Um, so if, if you kind of 
look at my energy when I come to room. So I think anybody listening right now, everybody has a different nature. And one of the most damaging things we can do in our path is push a river, force ourselves to be someone and force our energy to be a certain way that doesn't feel like a match in our day-to-day lives. So if you are a very chatty person and that's your core nature and you have a certain other set of skills that requires you to be behind a computer all day and not talk to anyone, chances are you're going to feel some sort of sense of suppression. And a lot of the time suppression can cause depression. And so it's really natural for people to, um, I don't know, like struggle to juggle what to factor into their career choices. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that your core nature is just that beginning step of saying, what is my energy and what kind of paths match this energy? So, you know, after you collect some adjectives from friends and you can text them right now, like I'm listening to this crazy career expert on this podcast. What, you know, how do you describe me? How would you describe my energy when I walk into a room? And and people will give you very honest feedback. Um, I had a client the other day who every single person said warmth and nurturing and, Mm. I just thought, wow, and and turns out she really is a good fit to be a nurse or a medical practitioner or someone with bedside manners. So it's it's really important to look at your skills, of course, look at your interests, but your energy matters too. And part of that is whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, because one of the most damaging things you can do if you are an introvert is force yourself into an extroverted job. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I do keynote speeches all the time, but... Uh, I have a limit to it because no matter how much I love uh, love them, and I do, um, I have to sleep for like 24 hours after because I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you quickly explain the difference between introversion and extroversion? Because I think most people get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so speak to that for us real quick if you can. Yeah. And there's also research on a whole world called ambiverts, which is somewhere in between. But an introvert is someone who gets their energy when they're on their own. It's like, it's all about how you charge your battery. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you charge your battery with people around you or do you charge your energy by yourself? Um, I personally am more of an introvert. Um, I need to be alone in order to be replenished. Other people feel really depleted when they're spending all this time alone. Um, There is a middle ground, obviously, and that would be called the ambivert, but I think it's really important for people to understand which one they absolutely need. Uh, I know some people that really don't need alone time, um, and I'm I'm exhausted Mm -hmm. um, because I just need it so bad. Yep. Agreed. I'm the same way. I can work a room. I can play the outgoing, friendly, you know, personal person, but it's draining for me. Yeah. It, it drains yeah. my batteries and I need to go home and, like you said, sleep or just hang out by myself or read. Read, re- Reading mm-hmm. recharges my batteries like crazy. Beautiful. Uh, yep. So uh, building on top of one's core nature, uh, you introduce this concept of one's core skill set. So core nature is adjectives about who you are, like playful or funny or whatever it is. Let's talk about core skill set. How do we discover our core skill set? Well, there's two big dynamics in your career, and these are the two most important things that I'm thinking about when somebody comes into one of my courses or programs or anything I'm doing is the what versus the how. The what is, what are your skills? How are you using your mind, body, and heart throughout the day? How are you harnessing your energy? Uh, The second piece is the how. That has to do with your core values. Um, And given that we know that 50% of people leave their job because they don't like their boss, what we can assume to be true is that 
what you do, your actual skills you're using is separate from how you're doing it, who you're working with, what the setup is. Um, and those both, to me, bo both matter equally. So your core skill set is a body of work that I came up with in my book. Uh, I think it's in chapter two that I go through the 10 core skill sets I came up with in the workforce. And what I realized was that with, there's this really cool tool on Google called the Ngram. And what it essentially does is it shows you how pervasive a concept is in society. So if you type follow your passion into the Ngram, you see it in the 80s kind of spin off and become a part of culture and a part of our common advice. Because what is our culture? It's Google. We know that what people are talking about shows up on Google. So it's interesting because I think that this concept kind of just went viral without being questioned or properly examined. And then uh, back when I gave my first TED talk, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, I wanted to change the conversation. And my concept in the talk was stop following your passion. And I've since seen a lot of content out there about this, which I'm really happy to see because I think that your passions matter and your interests are interesting, but I'm passionate about cupcakes and massages, but I'm not meant to eat cupcakes all day and massage people. Like mm -hmm. one thing I talk about in my book is that there's a really big difference between being a producer of something and a consumer of something. Like just because I love consuming art and going to art galleries doesn't mean I'm supposed to be an artist. Mm -hmm. Just because I love eating baked goods doesn't mean I'm meant to be a chef or own a restaurant. So I think people haven't br bridged that disconnect. Um, and the core skill sets piece of my book was really about me saying, let me come up with these different umbrellas of skills that I'm seeing in the workforce so that people can stop attaching to a job title or a passion and start saying to themselves, what skill do am I meant to be harnessing throughout my career? Because your skill, your natural gift, that's where you're going to be making an impact. That's the thing that you're sharpening with you throughout your career. So if you want, I can go through the 10 that I found in, in my work. That would be awesome. Yeah. So the first one's innovation, and that is for the creative self-starters, the intrapreneurs, or the entrepreneurs, the visionaries. Um, the difference between an intrapreneur and an entrepreneur is I see the entrepreneur as someone who needs all out freedom. They need time freedom. They need creative freedom. Um, you know, and, and if they don't get that, they're gonna feel a visceral pain. They need to work on their ideas, on their timelines. The intrapreneur needs autonomy. So they can work within a company and be, be delegated an idea, but how they go about it, their vision for it, their execution on it, they need some flexibility. They don't need the all out freedom. That's why you're seeing right now, a lot of people who are working from home, um, you know, they're, they're happy to just have that basic flexibility and that's stopping them from needing to become the entrepreneur mm. who really, um, maybe they had that itch for freedom and, and that entrepreneurship was the way they thought they would get it. And now they can find that in the workforce. So the, the second core skill set is building, and this could be quite literal or it can be more of a, a metaphor. So the builders can be construction workers. They can also be management consultants, people who are building a strategy out and being, you know, they might also be an innovator. It's really about how you're using your skill, where you house it, how you show up with it. Um, the third skill set, and these aren't ranked in any order in particular, but is, is uh, words. And this is my core skill set. And one way you can discover your core skill set is to look at who you've been your whole life. And what's so slippery about this is that your skill set is going to be so obvious to you that you're probably not going to realize it's a skill set. Mm. And so it's really important to be able to say to yourself, Oh, I think I'm hearing some clapping or something. On my end? Oh, yeah. Weird. How weird is that? Oh, oh it's yeah. gone. Weird. Okay. So, sorry. Keep going. 
No, it's all good. Um, yeah, so the the words course skill set is, you know, for me, it's all about communication. And this kind of brings back this idea of core nature and energy. Um, if you're an introvert, you know, and you want to use words as your core skill set, that's probably going to look a little more intrinsic, like writing and a content manager, somebody who is intrinsically using this skill set. If you are uh, a words person, but you are more of an extrovert, that might look like speaking on more stages, business development, even being a realtor or a talent agent, somebody who's turning words and conversations into money. Um, this is why I think using your natural gift and being who you are is so key. And you can usually find your core skill set in your history because my first job, I was a worked at a preschool and I helped the chef prepare meals for all the little kids. But I would always notice typos in the brochures <laughs> and in the pamphlets and all the stuff. So I'd always walk myself over to the front desk and say, Hey, you know, this is a run on sentence. This is a typo. And 16 years old, they're like, Oh, can you start editing our materials? And it's because I was showing up in my core skill set. And the mm. thing about it is that you'll always find a way to use it. And that's one way to notice it. Like, you could have me flipping burgers and I'm going to find a way to use words as mm -hmm. a part of my success. Mm -hmm. um, and then number four is motion. This is, um, you know, the fitness people, the physical people, the people who are on their feet all day. Um, it's truly a skill to be that way. And number five is service. Service is for the helpers, the humanitarians, the customer service people. Um, the thing to ask yourself if service is your core skill set is, you know, where are you coming from from this? Because I had a client who really tragically lost her parents at a young age and she had to raise her siblings. And she told me that service was her skill set. And when we dug deeper, we realized that service was just who she had to be. And a lot of us have to be someone as a kid, you know, in our family unit with our friends. And we learn to be a certain way as a coping mechanism. So it's important to ask yourself, is this truly your skill set mm -hmm. or is this who you had to be? Um, and, and it could be both. It's just important to know. And then number six is coordination. I love the coordinators, the, you know, events people, the detail people, the project managers, the operations people. Whenever I coach somebody in my practice or I talk to somebody on my podcast and they're a coordinator, I'm so impressed because it's like my lowest skill set. <laughs> and I just think they make the world go around. And then, Number seven is the analysis skill set. And actually, this one sheds a lot of light on why national security wasn't for me and how I had a misunderstanding. So the analysts are the researchers, the academics, the intelligence analysts, you know, all of those. I, When I got to the Pentagon, I thought to myself, oh, wow, there's a lot of writing. I love writing. I love words. But there's a big difference between being a words person and an analyst. It's completely the opposite side of your brain in some ways. So a lot of people are misunderstanding their skill set when they go into their desired field. And the number eight is numbers, pretty straightforward, the number crunchers. And number nine is technology, which is, you know, artificial intelligence, tech troubleshooters, IT. And then number 10, I think that they're also my favorite, which is beauty. These are the mm -hmm. artists, the musicians, you know, the, the makeup artists, you know, anyone who's making art. Mm aesthetics of the world around them the interior designers um so those are the 10 and i believe everybody really leads with at least one mm -hmm. how many core skills does someone typically have that they should then leverage into their career like how many should they focus on because i think a lot of people including myself can identify with numerous of them but yeah what's kind of the sweet spot in there 
I think everybody has probably at least a couple of them and everybody resonates with at least a few of them. But Mm -hmm. I do believe what's most important is to figure out which one you want to lead with because every job title is created based around one key function and that and every single job title comes back to one key skill. They might need many different skills, but there's one that's really going to make you thrive and shine Mm -hmm. in that role. And so I think it's really important to say to yourself, what is that one skill? Uh, And if you're not sure, you can ask people in your life, like, when have you seen me at my best? When have you seen me shining? Mm -hmm. Because chances are you're going to find that um, there's a lot of people out there who love you and can give you feedback on things that you might have not thought about. Um, And if especially want to target it on your career, when have you seen me best at my best in my career? And even asking colleagues that you feel connected to would be really effective. Yeah. Are there any personality or skill assessments that you're fond of? Are you like, are you an Enneagram girl? Are you DISC or are you Myers-Briggs or any of those? Yeah. I love Enneagram a lot. Mm -hmm. I would say the two letters that I look at the most with Myers-Briggs is the E and uh, the E or I, so introvert or extrovert, which I've been talking about, and also the J or the P. When I see a J, I think, okay, this is someone who's going to thrive with structure. This is someone who does well with calendars. Um, And when I see a P, I see someone who's spontaneous, a little bit more um, flowy with their schedule, a little more, um, flexible with their time. And I think that's really important as far as how rigid somebody's job is, what the setup is, because if you put a P in a very scheduled job, you're going to see a very unhappy person. Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise I really like to look at the Enneagram. Um, I think that the, especially the content that they have, and those of you who haven't taken an Enneagram, there's a free test online. And also Myers-Briggs has a free test, And then I also have a quiz on my website about what your career personality is and what your skill set is at ashleystall.com, I believe, slash free quiz. Um, So there's so many resources out there, but ultimately, I don't believe you can obscure anyone into a box. Mm -hmm. What's your Enneagram number? Mine is, I used to be a three, which was an achiever, and I Mm -hmm. never resonated with it because I think I was coming from a very wounded place, just wanting to matter, matter and be worthy and trying to find that through my career. But the truth of who I really am, I I've really been testing as a four Mm -hmm. and that is the, the individualist. That's the person who is all about self-expression. And I think that that's really true for me. Um, and my shadow is, you know, feeling like people are copying me or wanting to be unique. And, Mm -hmm. um, it really rings true. I actually didn't read any books that would be seen as competitive as mine, uh, like competing with mine before I read my or wrote my book because I didn't want to be influenced by other people's thoughts. And Mm -hmm. so that individualist in me is very alive all the time. Yep. Yep. I'm a four as well. I'm a four wing three. So I resonate Ah. with that deeply. And us fours need to stick together. We are rare, but I'm a high school. We are rare little breeds. (laughs) Yes, we are. I'm a a high school teacher, as I mentioned, prior to start starting to record. And um, I do the Enneagram with my students and I can always pick out the fours they're always like swagged out they got like purple in their hair they're like super artsy Mm. and you know it's it's funny they stick out that's awesome yeah that's my dream is for high school students to be reading my book because i feel like right when they get into college is where they start getting worried about their career somewhat and stressed about the advice that they're hearing yeah and Oh, there's just so many that I'm like, oh, I want to stop you from this pain that I feel like is coming. Yeah, 
it's so important and I feel like it's so hard to, there's so many pressures when we are young to go this way and that way and to conform to what our peers are doing and what our little communities expect of us and we get pigeonholes hold into things and we go down paths that you know we don't necessarily love and then we find ourselves miserable and I, I just see that all all too often with with graduates and with friends and peers and students and all that just all the pressure and it's like man to to have something to have your content in your mind at that age and to be able to identify a lot of your values and your skill sets and your interests and actually start to pursue those things that early in life is so huge so huge yeah yeah Yeah. I mean it's everything I wish that I knew it's like there's so much pain that I experienced because it's one thing not to like where you are that's something that any person who's an action taker can handle Mm -hmm. but it's like a whole other thing when you don't know where to go next um that that feeling of like I don't like where I am and I don't know where to go is such a painful paralyzing feeling that I just wish for no one yeah totally but the other side of that is that it often pushes us to greatness and it and it pushes us to develop things and be creative and to problem solve and you know if you if Ashley Stahl didn't go through those troubling times and all that suffering then we wouldn't have this book and we wouldn't be having this conversation so it's hard exactly it's yeah exactly yeah all the pain I've been through in my personal life has definitely translated into service which has been a really healing thing to go through different things in my be able to share with them yeah that's awesome Okay, so next you introduce this idea of one's core values. So talk to us about why those are important and then how we go about identifying them. Yeah, your core values, I really think, are the key ingredients to your life. They're the non-negotiable principles by which you live your life. And I think a lot of people haven't tuned in to what they truly value because people are notoriously not amazing at self-identifying. I mean, even with relationship research, they're finding that your friends are better at determining whether your relationship is going to work out or not. (laughs) I think it's because they have no skin in the game. There's no attachment other than your happiness. So they're just looking neutrally as observers at relationships. And I think it's the same with your career. Um, People are able to give you really good feedback as neutral observers. So when it comes to your core values, um, I have a really big list in my book that you can look at. Um, but it's, it's important to ask yourself, what are the pieces of me? What are the words that represent pieces of me that are so important and such a reflection of my being? So when I think about me, or even with you being a four on the Enneagram, self-expression is pretty non-negotiable. So mm-hmm. it's a big deal. And self-expression is absolutely a core value of mine. And if I'm not self-expressing, I feel like this sadness. Um, and so my career has just become this emptying all the time. And, and that's certainly what my book was, was just emptying myself out with uh, how to figure out your path and your career and how to figure out who you are as it relates to that. So I think um, self-expression for me, autonomy is huge for me. And a lot of people, if they have a certain core value, Um, that's being violated, that's when they're miserable in their career. And one mistake people make is they'll think to themselves, well, now I just need a whole different career path because this isn't working. When the truth is, maybe it's just the culture of the company you're at. So for example, maybe you're an amazing salesperson. Maybe words is your core skill set. And your energy, your core nature is very chatty, extroverted. And, you know, you have a sales job, but you're working for someone that you have to sell something you don't believe in and you value integrity. 
if that's the case, then, you know, your core value of integrity is being trespassed on and you're going to be pretty unhappy. Mm-hmm. Maybe you value freedom and you hate that you have to report to somebody all day, every day and t- clock in, clock out. Whatever that is for you, I think it's really important to know what are those words that reflect a piece of who you are. There are words like peace, family, balance, spirituality, um, you know, experiences, novelty, inspiration. Um, I mean, the list really, authenticity, the list can go on and on and on. I have a pretty big one in the book, but it's so important to know what are those top five words for you and um, how do you express them? Because, you know, I had a client who told me adventure was a core value. And for one, he said that means skydiving. And then for another client, adventure meant trying a restaurant out. Hmm. So, everybody's got different values and how they show up to and how they define them. Yep. Yep. So we talk core nature, core skills, core values, lovingness. Let's get into core interests. Um, what are our core interests and then how do we go about identifying those? You know, um, I think that everybody has a different set of interests and a lot of people are just giving them an undue promotion into a full on career path. And it's so important to sit down and what am I into? So for me, I'm interested in travel. I'm interested in foreign languages. I'm interested in cooking. I'm interested in wellness. Um, France, you know, I'm bilingual. So I spent, I, I lived in Paris a long time. Um, I'm interested in politics. So it's, it's about asking yourself, what are some of your interests? Do you like reading? Do you like school? Do you like, and, and really getting honest with what are these things and remembering that your interests are a backdrop to your career. For example, if I'm interested in travel, that doesn't mean I want to work in a five-star hotel. That probably means I want to be a guest at it. Mm. So it's really important to say, what is my interest? Because that might mean that there's a backdrop to what you're doing. But first asking yourself, what is my skill set? So kind of like that sales guy who I said his skill set is words. It's like, okay, he would probably do well um, selling something, but if he's interested in sports, then maybe he wants to do sales for a sports focused company. Um, but your interest is very much so secondary and you really have to hone in on that skill set first. Yep. Yep. So once we are able to identify these things within us, our core nature, our core skills, our core values, we do the work, we start assessing these things, our core interests, all that. How do we go about starting to uncover careers that line up with with who we are truly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a, I, I found after writing the book that one thought that keep came, coming up for me was that there's really three lily pads in your career and most people never make it even to the second one, let alone the third one. So the first one is you're doing what you're doing and it's fine. And when people tell me it's fine, I just think they're not in touch with their pain, you know? Hmm. Um, nobody wants to be fine, you know, yeah. just like we were talking about. It's, it's either feeding you or eating you, right? Yeah. So um, so a lot of people hang out there. They don't want to know what else is there. It's too much work. It's too inconvenient. They're getting paid a certain amount. They don't even want to deal with it. Totally no judgment, That's, but that is definitely a majority of the workforce. Mm-hmm. The second lily pad is knowing where your gifts are, knowing what your zone of genius is, knowing yourself because – you know, a lot of people, We, you know, you had mentioned at the beginning of this conversation in my book talking about helping you figure out who you are and examining who you're not. And, you know, we come into the world with a thermostat that kind of gets set for us by our parents, you know, and our parents always have good intentions usually, or, you know, always usually, but usually tend mm-hmm. to have good intentions. Um, but they have their own thermostat of what they believe is possible in their career. And it's set at a certain level and it's natural as kids to kind of buy into theirs. So, 
you know, we kind of think about success and money and what's possible through their lens. And so when you get to the second lily pad and you swim over there, what that looks like is doing work to figure out who you are and to undo all of the limitations that you've believed into throughout your life. And there's so many. So it's really important to say to yourself, okay, you know, when, when am I expanding? When am I contracting? Where, what skills have I been using in my job now and in my past jobs or as a business, you know, as an entrepreneur, what are the services I've offered that I've thrived with versus not? And what does that mean about who I am and what I have to offer? So that's the first piece of the puzzle, just really taking an honest look at where you're expanding, where you're contributing and where you're not. And I think we've been conditioned to feel shame when we're not good at something, which to me is crazy because Mm -hmm. the truth is we can't possibly be good at everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, really being able to say, you know, there's things I'm good at, there's things I'm not, and I'm going to take ownership of those. And once you start to do that exploration, whether you're reading a book like my book, which I don't even know if I mentioned the title, but it's called U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. So maybe you're reading my book. The goal of my book was to get people from that first lily pad to the second one, which is I know what my gifts are, I know what my skill set is, and I'm going to offer that up, and I'm going to work under that umbrella, and I'm going to harness that skill set throughout my career. It, it no longer is about job titles. It's about am I growing this skill set? Am I using this skill set? Am I sharpening it? Once you get into your skill set and you lead with it, you're going to start making an impact because most people are mismatched in the workforce. That's just the nature of it. And so if you can get to a place where you're truly using something that you're great at, people are going to notice and people are going to start handing you opportunities because everybody want to, wants to work with people who are good at something. Everybody wants to get more value out of the people who are giving a lot of value. Yeah. So they're going to start contacting you with opportunity. Hey, do you want to do this? Hey, do you want to head that up? Hey, I trust you for this. Um, they're my team that's been working uh, with me for years now and she keeps on expanding her skills and I keep on giving her more things and it's because she's really working in a zone of genius and so her career is just coming more and more alive by being that way and so when you get to that second lily pad and you know you're in a, your zone of genius it's kind of like a river current where you're going in the right direction and opportunities start coming at you and you're calibrating in a way with mm. the universe you're saying yes you're saying no Um, And if you give yourself to be experimental during that time, chances are you're eventually going to get offered an opportunity to swim over possibly to the third lily pad, which is really about dharma. It's really about soul divine purpose. And I never have been to that place except for when I was writing my book. Um, It was the first time I felt like something going through my fingers, like as I was typing, it was like channeling Mm. something through my hands. And it was like the most amazing experience of creation. And um, I don't know how to access it other than to keep using my gifts and calibrating with the opportunities that are yeses and nos. But what I do know is that there's a special place that people who are on that lily pad create from, and it takes one to know one. And ever since then, uh, I watch TV sometimes. I'll see like athletes that are famous, and I can tell which ones are working from that third lily pad. They're in their dharma Mm. because there's a certain aliveness and a certain level of creation that can come from that. And, um, you know, a lot of people feel like they're low on energy when really they're just low on purpose, you know, and they just need something that is more suit for them. So, My wish for anybody listening is that they give themselves at least the opportunity, whether they read my book or they're hiring a coach or they're having conversations with their friends to say, where am I really skilled and how can I start saying yes to working in that realm? Mm -hmm. 
what would you say to the person who's like, I'm just average at everything. I don't have a really like strong core skill set. What, what would you say to that person? I would say, what's the payoff of you thinking that you're average? How are you benefiting from believing that? Yeah. Is that taking you off the hook from putting yourself out there? Like, why, why are you telling yourself that story? Like, whatever made us is pretty divine. I don't know what people's religious or spiritual or scientific beliefs are, mm -hmm. but it's pretty mad. We can all agree. It's pretty magical that we're somehow here on this planet. Like nobody really knows how. And I don't think that the divine messes around. I think that we all are snowflakes. We all have come in with different knacks and abilities. And, um, I think life is about learning what those are. Yep. A quote just popped in my head from Arrhenius that says, uh, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Yeah, Which love I, that. Yeah, so good. How do you go about thinking about fear, knowing what you know mm -hmm. now? How do you look at fear? How do you process fear? How do you coach people through fear? Well, I mean, I I find that the real work is being more afraid of what your life would look like if you're not yourself than, you know, anything else. But most people, the human experience is such that they, there's two dynamics. There's fear of the unknown, and then there's your misery in your current situations. And most people are not willing to dive into that fear, into that pool of the unknown until their misery is so loud and so deep and so big that they're like, I don't even care how miserable, how scary the unknown is anymore. I'm too miserable here. So I would say the first thing is to notice when you're feeling lukewarm. That's a starter because I don't think it's a healthy relationship with ourselves that most of us have where we let fear be so big as a way to motivate us to make a change. I, I would love for everybody listening to make a change when they're feeling lukewarm. Don't put yourself through that pain. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, I would say fear is intelligent. It's telling you something. Um, you know, and so ask it like, what is, if you could have a conversation with your fear and you could journal it, ask it like, why are you here? What are you trying to protect me from? Um, and negotiate with it. Maybe in your journal, say like, are you open to backing down a little bit? And I promise I'll do my best to this or that. Um, I journal and have direct conversations with different aspects of me. So everybody listening right now is facing some sort of aspect of themselves. It could be that they're navigating heartbreak. That's one aspect that they could be navigating today. It could be that they're navigating um, sadness. Whatever it is, um, I found that having a conversation with yourself is a very, that part of yourself is a very powerful way. And actually Gestalt, the philosopher, has a whole body of work. And one way you can implement his work is putting two different chairs in a room and one chair is you as you are now and the other chair is that part of you that's present so if you're going through a lot of sadness if you're going through a lot of grief if you're going through heartbreak if you're going through confusion let the confusion or let the sadness have the other chair hmm. and you want to sit in your chair and say hi sadness like why are you here and go into the sadness chair and let and channel it like let it speak through you and then go back in your chair and continue having a conversation with it so that's one piece of it that i recommend for anybody mm -hmm. um but i also think that where there is fear there can be courage uh, a lot of people make fear mean not to do something when the truth is fear is just um your body it's a mechanism letting you know to watch out and you know when we were in the cave caveman cavewoman times you know we had to watch out for a saber-toothed tiger so it makes sense that you know being out in nature our bodies were taught to look out for for problems that really do threaten our survival but we've all taken it too far and so i would say 
you know, instead of making fear mean don't, you know, as I say in my book, uh, the coach Dan Sullivan, he said, you know, fear is wetting your pants and courage is doing what you're supposed to do with wet pants. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, We only have a couple more minutes left and I have uh, a couple questions that I asked to everyone. And the first one is, if you could recommend a few books from any genre for the listeners to check out other than your own, of course, which I highly recommend, again, the listeners to check out. I'll put links to everything in the show notes as well. But um, if you could recommend some books to people to check out, what would they be and why? I think The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks is a really good start at really learning where your limits are. His argument is about um, how people actually have what he calls an upper limit problem where they struggle to let things be good. And I see that all the time. And that's where self-sabotage happens. So I think that's a great book. Um, the book that woke me up the most was A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Yes. And that book is such a powerful deep dive. I can hear that you've read it and I actually see that as like a little treat that I'll read like a chapter a month on an ongoing basis in my life mm-hmm. um, because it's so deep and there's so much there. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I actually do the exact same thing. I have it in like, I have like eight books that I constantly return back to that I just keep separate on a shelf that I have highlighted and underlined and I'll just flip through it and catch some of the highlights and uh, more important things that he said in there and it's it's super good it's a great book that's amazing yep what does a life enchanted mean to you Mm, I think I mean obviously I'm biased but that means that you are living a life where you're truly being who you are Mm mm-hmm yeah Amen. Beautiful. Yeah. Ashley, this was awesome. Thank you so much again for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for reading my book, for having me on. I'm so grateful. No doubt. All right, guys. Peace. A special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the music heard throughout this episode. Also, a big shout out to Capital Floats, a.k.a. my favorite sensory deprivation and float tank facility in Northern California. I'm a frequent user there, and the experience is always transformative to say the least. If you're interested in floating and live in Northern Cal, make sure you use promo code LIFEENCHANTED with no spaces at checkout on their website. You'll save a whopping 40% off your first float, and you will not find that deal anywhere else. Also, in regards to some of the content shared in these episodes, make sure you always consult your doctor before making any sudden diet or lifestyle changes. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can find me on Instagram at nick.carlisle or send me an email nick at mylifeenchanted.com. 